We've been going through the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. That he was very concerned about a heresy that had infiltrated those churches, that which was in order to be saved or be continued to walk in that salvation, that you must follow the law. And Paul has been using argument after argument to show that that is not the case, that the true gospel is one of faith alone in Christ alone, who did it all on his own. He has used scriptures, both quoted scriptures. He has used scriptures in the sense of this is what God has said in the scriptures. He's used their very own experiences to discuss that the spirit came to them based on faith and not on works. And now he's going to use another argument that's a kind of an allegorical argument, and he even says it is an allegorical argument. And some think that maybe it's an embarrassing type of argument, or there's those commentators who just seem uncomfortable with this. I find this, for those who follow the, you must do certain things to be saved or to continue in salvation, uh, the pride that we are of this type of background to be a devastating argument. And so my hope and my prayer is that this passage will speak to you far beyond what I'm capable of doing. Therefore, as in all cases, but especially today, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to get you to understand what Paul is, is saying. For you see, there are those in the church back then, even before the church started, back as far as, as when John started his ministry, that there were those who were proud of the fact that they were the children of Abraham. And that being the children of Abraham, that that somehow gave them special recognition by God. That God was going to do something because simply that they are children of Abraham. And John uses the argument that says, that's not that big a deal. God can take stones and make them the children of Abraham. Now, some of us who are in the modern day, well, maybe he's talking about, again, a metaphor. No, God, who said, let there be light, who in the beginning created it all, who took some dust from the ground and formed man and breathed into him, can take rocks and add the genetic code that is necessary to make them children of Abraham. So it is not where you come from. It's not your genetic background. It's not your background. It's not your heritage that makes you a child. And Paul is going to use this argument against those who claim to be children of Abraham by following the law. And in verse 21 of chapter 4, he says this, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So he's going to go right at him. He's saying, you want to be under the law. You want to follow all the rules and commandments. Are you going to do that fully? Let me show you what the law says. 
For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. And I'm going to stop there. To bring you back into remembrance, if you remember in Genesis, God had told Abraham that he was, even though he was advanced in age, and even though Sarah was advanced in age and barren, that God would see to it that Abraham had a son. And that if he was able to number the stars in the sky or count the sands on a beach, that he could then number the number of descendants he would have. And the scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And Paul's saying, remember the, there were two women and in essence, two sons. There was the son of promise, which was Isaac, which was named laughter because everybody laughed when God said this was going to happen. So to remind you every day when this little boy and this man walks around that when you said it was impossible, God said, there he is. But in weakness of faith, Sarah hatched her own plan and said, you know, it, God possibly needs some help. I'm barren. Therefore, let's, let's help God out. And I'll give you my servant, my slave, my handmaiden, Hagar, and let her have a child. And that will help God out because then there's a God. God will have fulfilled his promise. So he says, so there's one according to the bondwoman, one according to the flesh. Verse 24, this is allegorically speaking. Now, what is allegorically speaking? It means that you're taking a narrative, a story, and communicating a truth or a moral truth. So Paul is saying, I'm going to teach you something from the scriptures that is there, but not as clear. There are times, for instance, when the scriptures will say something like, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your... That's what you're supposed to do. There are times when God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He makes a statement of fact. As Paul has used in other scriptures, the righteous shall live by faith. So there are statements, but then there are times when the teachers teach us, the scriptures teach us something, but it may be a little more hidden. An example of this would be when Isaac was being offered by Abraham, told by God to offer Isaac, the son of the promise to him. And we see the story where Isaac's not quite sure what's going on. He's seen burnt offerings before, but there's no lamb. There's no... To, to do the offering. And Abraham says, God himself will provide. And then later we see when Jesus is the lamb of God, that that scripture is fulfilled. We see is it as a type. Now Paul is saying there are times that scriptures teach, but it's not a type. It's not a blunt statement. It's an allegory. And Paul is going to use this allegory. He says, allegorically speaking for these t- women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children. And now those who are reading this are going to assume that he's going to say that this is going to be Sarah. But he switches it. He says, Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. 
Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So he's going, the one that tried to help God out, she's in slavery. She's the one that tries to do the law, which is really mind-blowing for those who think, well, we're children of Abraham. And Paul's saying, not every child of Abraham is a child of promise. Remember Ishmael. As a matter of fact, Abraham had more than two children. He had eight. But Paul's using these two who were birthed in the age that are talking about. And so he says, Hagar is the one who is Mount Sinai, who is now present day Jerusalem, who has lost the meaning of being in the presence of God, but followed the rules and regulations and extra rules and regulations. So you violate the rules and regulations. So this is present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. They are bound to the law to follow the law, but the law gives no life. But the Jerusalem above is free, for she is our mother. So the the sermon subtitle today is, well, who's your mother? Is it the woman who puts you in bondage or the woman of the promise? Who's your mom? They're so concerned about who that their father is Abraham. They're saying, yeah, but you can be a slave under Abraham or you can be free under Abraham. It depends on your mother. And it says, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother for it is written. And again, this is where a lot of commentators feel very uncomfortable with this passage. Paul uses a passage in Isaiah talking about, and we'll quote it, rejoice barren women, woman who does not bear break forth and shout you who are not in labor for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. Now, some say, well, this seems kind of out of context. Paul just rips this out to use it. If you keep reading in that chapter, it will talk about that God is the husband. And guess what? God has used in the Old Testament a symbol of marriage between he and his people as an understanding of the relationship he has. So much so that he has a prophet marry a prostitute to show just how unfaithful God's people are to him. And yet God is faithful. And in the new Testament, we are told over and over that the church is the bride of Christ. So Paul is perfectly valid in using this argument to saying that the people of God come to God and are children of his based on who he is and that even though Sarah was barren, that more children would be born from her than those who were married. Verse 28, and you brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Paul has extreme confidence that even though they are flirting with this heresy, that they are the children of God which is another great statement of promise and faith. Because let's go back to the two people he's talking about. It was said that you're going to have a child 
by Sarah, and your descendants will be more numerous than you count. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him to righteousness. This was done before he had Ishmael with Hagar. Abraham wasn't perfect in his faith, but he was made righteous because he believed God. And in here we are told, even though you've been flirting with the wrong theology, you are still children of God if you're the children of promise, just like Isaac. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. Now, if you read the scriptures carefully, and the only, there is one brief mention that Ishmael mocks Isaac and Sarah. We are told before that, that after Ishmael is born, that Hagar viewed Sarah with contempt. And as a result, Sarah started treating her pretty badly, and she took off, and, and an angel of God said, go back, submit to your master. The same way, And in this, this is that Paul says, those who live according to the law will always try to mock and put you down. And one of the most common ways that they do that, and Paul will later deal with this in his letter, is they'll say, well, you mean you can live any life that you want, and you can be saved. Certainly you have to, there's certain do's and don'ts and you've got to live this certain life. And we are mocked because our response is salvation is based on faith alone in Christ alone. We don't conduct ourselves to be saved. We conduct ourselves as children of the living God. Our motivation is entirely different. So he was persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is also now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. Now that's a pretty stark statement. And in essence, when the situation rises, God then tells Abraham, send Isaac and Hagar away. And Abraham is concerned about him because he's sending him away. And God says, I'm going to take care of them. And they will be a numerous people as well. Trust me in essence, but send them away. And in essence, there are times when there are certain doctrines or theologies that are taught by people that we just need to say, we exclude that. Now, wisdom is which ones do we exclude and which ones do we not? 
there are several views about Jesus's return. Some people say that he'll return prior to the tribulations. Others will say he will return midway through the tribulation. And others say he'll return after the tribulation. Good people who love the Lord can have a difference of opinion. And it is interesting and good to have a discussion which of those three views is accurate. But it should not determine your fellowship. However, if someone were to teach, oh yeah, you, you start off in faith by believing in Jesus, but now you have to follow these rules and regulations. That goes right to the crux of the gospel. And we're not to fellowship with those. We send them away. We don't allow them to teach because then they will mislead those who are learning. So it's important to know the foundational aspects of faith. So then it says in the verse 31, so then brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. If you are a believer, you are a child of Abraham. One of those, if in the stars you can count, you can number your descendants. On the sands of the sea, one of those if you can count. We are that child. We are the child of promise. Now I want you to, to understand the magnitude of that concept. Hagar had a son by the flesh. It could happen. It could be done. Sarah was barren. When God made the promise to Abraham, it seemed an impossibility. But with God, all things are possible. And when it comes to your salvation and my salvation, it does not matter where you come from. It doesn't matter whether you were born genetically as a child of Abraham, or you're born genetically as a child of Ishmael, or you're born from this culture or that ethnicity, or you came from a culture uh, that didn't know God, or you came from a family who didn't know God, or you, or you yourself are reprobate, you're drunkard, you're all kinds of terrible things that we think of, or you come from a family who's whose parents were missionaries or pastors, which tend to be the worst kids on, on the earth anyway. But it, sometimes we, we have this idea that because of my previous background, that's significant to God. And it's not our background. It's that God causes us to be born again. And so there is a promise that God makes. It is found in a number of different places in enough different scriptures. But I'm going to use my wife's favorite scripture. It's found in Romans chapter 10. 
And it says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching that if you confess, notice it doesn't say if you profess it, confess, I did it. It's not something I'm going to do. It's something that I've done that I confess with your mouth. Jesus says, Lord, I say I'm guilty. Jesus is my boss. If I confess with my mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the promise. It didn't say, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and follow the Ten Commandments, you'll be saved. It doesn't say, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and join a certain church, you'll be saved. It doesn't say, if you become a good little boy or girl and you do whatever, so long as you confess. It's if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you shall be saved. There's the promise. And if you believe that, you are a child of Abraham. But more important than that, you are a child of God. You are a child of promise. And just as Abraham, when God presented him with a promise, believed him, God has presented you and me with a promise. And the difference is, do you believe or not believe? For those who still think that they have to follow the rules and regulations, they didn't believe the promise. They thought they had to add to it. And the promise is simple. Now, Jesus will also say, if you believe upon me, there are the scriptures. This is not something that is one little scripture buried somewhere. It's throughout. It's the gospel. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in suspension. Resulting in, wait and see what happens next. It's resulting in salvation. It's completed. Once saved, always saved. It's not a matter of, do I believe God? And I don't believe God. Now I believe God. God takes it and seals it. Because I've confessed and believed. And just as Abraham wasn't perfect in his following God, and we, if we're honest, are not perfect in our following God. But it's the promise that God has made. And that is what I hold on to. Not my efforts, not my abilities, not my strength, not even my weakness. It is the fact that God has made a promise and God has never, ever not fulfilled a promise. Now that I will jokingly say, quite frankly, If I get to the pearly dates and they say, why should you come in? My answer is going to be just the same as it is here. I'm not entitled to it to in, but God made me a promise that if I believed and confessed, I will have access that I am righteous 
and I'm saved. And if God can't do it, I certainly can't. I have no hope in my own righteousness, but I have complete confidence that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. And there are times when people will read things in the scriptures about, well, God said this, well, we'll take it out of context and say, well, I will never do this or I'll never have this because of these things. And we rip those out of context. This is not ripped out of context. And it's made not just to the Jews, it's made to you and me. So, in Paul's argument, he uses an allegory and says, don't be so impressed with your genetics. Just because you claim to be a child of Abraham doesn't make it so. It's only if you're a child of promise. If you're a child of bondage, you're just going to stay that way. So my call today is if you've never made a confession of faith, that Jesus is Lord. Notice a lot of people will have you say a sinner's prayer and guys that Jesus is Savior. That's not what the scripture said. Scripture says that if you confess, I'm guilty. That Jesus is my Lord, my boss. And if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if you've never done that, I invite you to do that today. You don't have to worry, well, what about tomorrow? Tomorrow takes care of itself. God fulfills his promise. And if you've kind of gotten off the track of, well, I, I tried to have faith, but then I got caught up and, you know, and I tried to do the things and I tried to come to church and I tried to do all these things and sometimes I do good and sometimes I don't. Stop trying and let God live through you. Or if you find yourself saying, you know, I made that confession, but somehow the Lord and I just kind of wandered off. Well, the Lord didn't wander off. You did. And he is as close as turning around. I don't care how long ago it was and how far you think you've traveled from your journey away from God. He is as close to you as if you just turn around. Because he's a good, good father. We who are fathers, and we're going to be in a few weeks celebrating Father's Day. As Jesus said, we're, we're basically not that good, but we'll give our children good things. Will your God not do more? And just as we as fathers would welcome home our children who have wandered away, our father says, just turn. Your past, your present, and your future are forgiven. Not here, 
to beat you about your activities. I'm here to restore relationships. And God wants to be related to you. He wants you to be his child. And my last comment on that is, all too often, we wander around and say, well, I'm a child of God. Aren't I special? And the reality is God is special. It's an amazing fact that I'm his child. I do not brag because I am a child of God on my own merit. I brag that that's how awesome our God is. That a person like me can say, and a person like you can say, I'm a child of God.